You're listening to the brand new Phone Booth Fighting brought to you by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com, also trentcotney.com. Our fine sponsors, check out the podcast, Phone Booth Fighting at phoneboothfighting.com. You can also subscribe in iTunes for new episodes every week. And, of course, listen to us terrestrially in Las Vegas and Reno. I'm your host, Richard Hunter, and uh, my co-host is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. Frank, how are you? Good I'm evening. Doing really well. All right. Now, last week, see, we take this podcast to exotic locales. I do. I'm trying to get you out of the house so you can see yeah. some different stuff. And I am seeing some different stuff. Uh, right now, I'm looking at about two dozen more kids than I have in my home, which is, is none. Uh, we are. Last week, we did the show from the uh, Hofbrau House gift shop. Uh, that was that was interesting. And this week, where where are we? Explain to everybody where we are. We're at my uh, son's uh, baseball game. Cage, uh, he's uh, nine years old. He plays mm-hmm. here on the Triple A team, and he's the Fireballers. And we're uh, this is what I do after practice and training. I get to come home and watch uh, my children play. We left earlier. I was at my daughter's uh, high, uh, her middle school flag football game. That they yeah. Were to pull off a victory and then win. They're two and zero now. And you won that one. And zipped from there and sprinted over here to watch the baseball game. Wow, it's a it's a full evening of youth sports, and Cage is is catching right. He's the catcher. Yep, starting catcher. Starting catcher. That's fourth on the fireballers. Okay, he's in the cleanup spot. I know enough about yeah, baseball. Yeah, No, that's the uh, cleanup spot. And uh, so, okay, so very good. So, uh, so, so, and 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 uh, Mrs. Muir was nice enough to give me her her chair. Her uh, what do we call these chairs? People tailgate in them, and the, the fold up chairs. Yeah, fold gotta, out chairs. You got to carry around when you go to a lot of sporting events so just setting the scene for you that's uh where we're here right up against the the backstop and uh watching some baseball all right uh later on in the show you'll hear from uh frank's head coach and our co-host ricky lundell he and i did a couple of segments together and uh also a couple of guests that are going to be fighting on uh, ufc 192 this coming saturday but uh last week frank we had breaking news on the podcast you signed your new eight fight deal with uh the ufc this week we have uh, breaking news of a different variety doesn't pertain to you specifically but certainly has a big impact on the world of MMA and specifically the ultimate fighting championship and that news is that the former light heavyweight champion John Jones is off the hook legally speaking he um, got 18 months probation he is going to serve no time he is going to have to speak to kids I think like 70 times or something it was kind of a high number over that 18 month span but uh, no fines no jail time and in theory he will be ready to return to the UFC whenever they will have him and whenever he feels like he can take a fight your thoughts you know what uh, I think it's uh, you know it's a way of call to John I think that you know he, uh, obviously I think people don't make adjustments in their life until Something bites you, you, you know, and it's an opportunity that, uh, you know, when we fail, we fall flat on our face. We look at what happened. And I think, you know, John has had a very extremely, obviously, successful career in the world of mixed martial arts. And mm-hmm. he's a UFC champion and he's record setting. He's young. And, um, you know, I think that uh, success sometimes can test you more than failure can. And uh, this, he uh, came up short. He, uh, you know, obviously made some mistakes. And uh, the 18-month probation is not going to be an easy thing. I mean, those probations, uh, he's going to be supervised. Uh, he has to uh, go through, you know, obviously uh, all probations that I'm aware of 
anybody I've ever been in contact with is going to be drug tested. I don't even believe they're allowed to really drink alcohol during that time. I know it pertains, you know, to the you know individual uh, judge what they want yeah. to say. But uh, usually, when a crime is, uh, you know, uh, alcohol is involved in, involved in a crime, that'll also be restricted. So I think that you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's a. Uh, a thing in justice where I like it to where it's not so much a guy also being punished but an opportunity to try to you know rehabilitate an individual and improve upon their life and really I think that's an opportunity here that John has in front of him for the next 18 months is to to improve the quality of his life and make it to where he can be the role model that everybody wants him to be and expects him to be so my outlook is much more dire and here's the issue first of all I wish and 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 this, uh, you know, I, I guess the judge did uh, followed some some legal guidelines or sentencing recommendations or whatever when somebody's in this position. And let's keep in mind that you know he had the one DWI a handful of years ago. This time around, I guess is not technically a DWI because he fled the scene and didn't turn up for 24 hours. So right. he, he panicked. Yeah. So he, made he a bad mistake. He's charged with fleeing the scene, but I don't think anybody can prove that he was necessarily intoxicated at that point. But I think. I think that's the natural assumption, and I certainly hope that somebody will ask him that in, in an interview. But on, on a broader scale, I wish, Frank, in our society that we took DWIs much, much more seriously than we do. And here's why. When you get drunk and you drive a car, hire whatever you are, you're really, you're really handling a weapon. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's no different than a gun. I mean, you have licenses to carry a gun, I'm mm -hmm. sure. But the thing is, if you get drunk and start waving that gun around you, four years ago and you shot yourself, I'm concerned. If three or four years later you get drunk again and you start waving that gun around, now you shoot somebody else. I see where you're going. Not only that. am I upset, you know what? Give me the gun. We don't no, want absolutely. you to have a gun anymore. No, and... and uh I agree. The way the laws are, I mean, that's one thing sometimes when I hear people talk about, you know, other, uh, you know, illicit drugs, you know, mm -hmm. they talk about the fatalities and the required. And I'm like, you guys do realize that alcohol related deaths actually outnumber all the other deaths related oh, yeah. with drugs. Yeah. All the other drugs. We're talking cocaine, heroin. I don't know. You know, I'm sure marijuana's killed somebody. I'm not really. Uh, <laughs> well, nobody's ever overdosed on it. Yeah, no one's ever overdosed on yeah. it, but it's prescription drugs and whatnot. Sure. Um, so I agree with you. I think that there has to be a harsher penalty for people to get behind the wheel of a car because really it's a premeditated crime. Yeah. Very few times do you go to a bar thinking, well, I'm not really planning on drinking, so I'll drive myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's face it. Anytime I go out to an area where I'm going to have alcohol or I'm going to have a drink, I knew those were my intentions before I stepped out of the house. So if you put yourself in that situation where now you're at the bar and you're the only one that could drive your vehicle, you didn't choose a designated driver, you didn't have a situation set up to where taking a cab and you left your car at home, um, I realize now that you're drunk and you're going to make poor decisions, but you already made those decisions before you ever sipped a drink, uh, a drop of alcohol. Yeah. So really, honestly, I think that the punishment does have to be harsher. I, it's amazing when I see people that, you know, you, you read in the newspaper and it, it, it's not uh, an uncommon story to see a guy who's, you know, hit somebody and killed him fatally. He was a drunk driver and he already had three DUIs to his name. I'm like, yes. why is this person driving a vehicle? Yeah. How, did the, how do you get to three? I mean, everybody, hey, you know what? We all make mistakes. I realize that the first time, maybe you didn't realize your own limitations. But I mean, even on the second time, I'm kind of mm -hmm. questioning your your thought process. 
Here's my other, uh, oh, we just had something big happen. Uh, let's see, our team has scored a run. And they've uh, yeah. they have, they've scored a run, and they have runners on second and third. Is that right? Yes. Excellent. Where's uh, where's uh, Mir, where's Mir He's coming up on the deck. Okay, he's on deck. Okay. He's going to have to bring these people home, Frank. Pressure's on. You know, yeah. we're going to be looking for a uh, probably a double at least to clear. We're hoping if he just makes contact with the ball, it brings some yes. people in. Yes. But uh, yeah, so, so I agree with you. I mean, and that's one thing actually. I think is ridiculous because I have a, a very close personal family friend who uh, her uncle lost his wife and a couple of his children mm -hmm. to a person that allegedly was a drunk driver, mm -hmm. ran a light, killed them in, in contact. And uh, here a man has lost his family and that person fled the scene. And by fleeing the scene, they were also only charged as far as, a, a you know, it's a misdemeanor. Right. And then, obviously, the, the, it caused bodily damage because it's an accident. It was involuntary manslaughter. But the fact that the alcohol couldn't be weighed into the equation because the person wasn't available to be tested for alcohol because they also fleed the scene. And right now, if you get into an accident, as far as the laws in Nevada, and I, I, I'm, New Mexico's the same way, yep. if I hit somebody and I've been drinking, it actually behooves me. It's actually yeah. beneficial for me to flee the scene. And so... That's crazy. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really yeah. a problem we have on the legislative level. It's like, yes. why is this an issue where the minute you flee a scene, I think, because that is just also, too, the way the human mind works, we have to think about, you know, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the court of public opinion. If you flee a scene, I'm assuming you're hiding something. You're 100% agree. And I, and I understand that. Yep. And I think everybody thinks that way. I just wish our laws would make more sense and go along with that and go, if you flee, um, then we're going to assume that whatever charge for drunk driving, drugs, whatever the case may be, we're going to look at it the worst case scenario. All right. Now, Cage Mirror is stepping yeah. to the plate, number 10. He's uh, getting the sign from the third base coach. He understands that uh, he's got a runner on second, so a single should bring that runner home, Frank. Here we go. First pitch. In the dirt, low. 1-0. and We're done play-by-play yeah. play on baseball. Absolutely. Absolutely. First time for me. A couple of practice swings from uh, the catcher number 10 here. Pitcher looks in, gets the sign, the wind-up. High. High. 2-0. and oh. I'll tell you what, this pitcher wants no part of going right down the middle with Cage Mirror, it looks to me like Frank. Oh, he's going to be forced to now, though. Yes, he, is, he is. He's behind in the count. Cage knows to be looking right down the center here with this third pitch. The windup. Good pitch. Ooh, oh. A little low. Low and outside. Low. 3-0. Oh. Don't look for him to be swinging here, Frank, unless he's a he's a daredevil. He's a risk taker. I know that runs in the family. Well, it looks like the call he got, though, from uh, third base coach, batting hitting coach, is uh, you know, unless it's a perfect pitch, he's going to hold the bat. Okay. And uh, here is the windup. Oh, Whoa! And it is foul. Foul ball. Wow. Ripped it to a uh, He saw something he liked there. And... Uh, All right, three and one now. Three and one, the count. Pitcher nods to the catcher, likes uh, likes the sign. Wind up once again. He's uh, he walks. 
That was high, I think, and uh, Cage goes down time. to first base. Great at bat. Runners on first and second. Yeah, so, so, I mean, going back to what we're talking yeah. about, I agree with you. But, I mean, the laws are what the laws are now. John, you know, is abiding by. And it's funny because I, I tend to notice that people feel like, you know, you know, oh, they went easy on him. I'm like, I hate to break you guys the mm -hmm. news, but that's the judicial system. Yeah. He didn't get it any differently than somebody else. It's just that you're paying attention to it. And there's a lot of things I think that if people paid attention more and what happened in court proceedings, mm -hmm. we're probably more upset with how society is and how lenient we are on certain issues that, that a lot of us would not consider lean, you know, uh, a topic to take so carelessly. I agree with that. Now, here is the second part of it that uh, troubles me. And by the way, Frank, you you know John. Uh, you've you've trained with him before. I don't know him. I've interviewed him a few times, but I have no uh, personal connection or anything like that. And a big part of my commentary here is based on the general rather than the specific, as we just talked right. about. You know, but uh, uh, to to that end, uh, the other half of this that troubles me is I am not a big fan of having the biggest defenders among us talk to the impressionable about uh, which direction to head. And what I mean by that is, is this. Uh, if you, you're taking someone in, in John Jones, uh, a repeat offender, at least in terms of the, you know, the, he definitely had the DWI the first time, he definitely fled the scene uh, the second time, whether or not he was intoxicated, we can only speculate. But that tells me that he does not have a basic understanding of cause and effect. And that's mm. a pretty simple concept. In fact, if John Jones were speaking to the 16-year-old me, let's see here. We've got, uh, oh, the bases oh, are Cage is coming home. Bases are clear. Get dirty, Cage. And he's safe. Huge cheer from the crowd. Well done. Cage with a big smile on his face and a high five from the coach. And uh, that what that score? Three runs right there? Yeah. All right. Nicely done. Pressure's off, as the coach, uh, you may hear the coach saying. So the second part of this that bothers me is this, Frank. If, if John Jones were to come and speak to the 16-year-old me, I would already be a more mature individual than him. I'm telling you right now at 16. I, I completely understood cause and effect i completely in fact i would submit that if he came and talked to me when i was 16 i should probably be the one talking to him yes. so i'm not a big fan of this let's let's prop somebody up in front of kids and 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 have them oh. ad-lib because here's here's I the other here's the from. other side of this too john is in the is in the position that he's in he he's he's in a uh a, a, a troubling position sure but if you look at the the plus side of it John is still uh, in the position to earn the money and, and achieve the fame that he can and that he does because he's got one in a million talent. So if he goes and talks to a group of kids, just statistically speaking, none of those kids are going to grow up to be in his position. No, they're not going to really relate with they're them. They're not going to have I the one in a million talent. I agree with you on that a, a yeah. lot. Uh, and another thing, too, that... And I completely agree with you saying that at 16 you would have a better yeah. decision-making skills, but... That's a problem, and, and I, too, have faced. When you're an athlete that can take a risk and you feel that you're immortal, we're able to step into situations that normal people won't step into. Mm -hmm. You think about it, John decided to, I'm going to step into a cage and face another man. Oh, yeah. How many other people decide to do that? You have guys that are willing to jump out of airplanes. You have people in the military. 
um, yep. you know, that able to, you know, jump out, load a rifle up and, and, and run in. They have a certain mentality yeah. that also, too, makes it to where sometimes our assessment of risk isn't accurate. But that is what allows some of us. I mean, if you look at, I have a friend that was an Army Ranger. That guy is able to do things and, and would would step up to the plate on situations where I'm like, really, that's that's near suicidal. Mm-hmm. But that was an, a, an, uh, a great attribute for somebody in his field to have. Same attribute that somebody that's a professional athlete, you know, step up, you know, uh, to be that fearless mindset sometimes requires you to overlook the statistics of saying, hey, you know, this equals this equals this. This is not a good idea. Some guys are able to look past that and be able to perform and go out there and run. So in one sense, as far as his career, mm. it's benefited him. But in another sense, as far as in his personal life, the decisions sometimes he makes, people in that situation, that same invincibility that I can conquer all sometimes carries over. Now it's like, well, I can get behind the wheel. I can, I can handle this. No problem. It's like, no, 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 this is a bad idea. No, no, no. This is dangerous. But you don't understand. You're dealing with a person whose mindset tells you, well, I can overcome things. I can win. I can win against the odds. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you add any alcohol or if the person's, you know, out of the state of the mind, then you really have a dangerous combination. So I, I think it's a good idea for John maybe to talk to individuals that he can maybe help guide. But I mean, there's a very small group of people in society, I think, that are going to be able to relate to him. I think going to a military base actually is probably more mm. people of his same cloth. Yeah. Guys in the infantry, guys, you know, fly jets, you know, guys, you know, in combat are, you know, arms. It's like, well, those mentality guys probably would more relate to his life lessons and advice he could give them more than your average just run of the mill. That's a very good point. In other words, talk to guys who are deployed and say, listen, just because you're in the scariest position known to man at one point, don't come home and think that you're invincible. Don't come home. Yeah, no, that that, that, that's a very good point. Because see, if you're talking to the proverbial group of kids as he's been uh, sentenced to do some some seventy something times, the the thing there is that if those like I said, statistically speaking, those guys are gonna grow up to lead normal, hopefully productive lives but if they were to get themselves in some sort of trouble it's not like statistically speaking there's going to be a guy in there who's going to grow up to say you know what i was a multimillionaire and i had a big uh, nike endorsement and i was a champion of the world and i got in trouble and you know what they took the title away it took me a year to earn it back and it's a good thing that i still have one in a million talent but otherwise i wouldn't be a millionaire anymore what would be more appropriate is to have a guy, a convict, go in and talk to the kids and say, hey, guys, I was working at Home Depot. I got busted with a felony. I went to prison for 22 months, and when I got out, nobody will hire me. I can't vote. No, I can't I, have a gun. I, I can't drive. I agree with you 100%. You know? um, but, I mean, I guess the judge is really specializing, in, you know, as far as what, to, you know, community service would be leveraged to be the most beneficial towards society. Mm. And, again, like, when people sit there and go, wow, that's dumb. Why would you do that? I'm like, you have to look at the mind and totality of the individual. Mm-hmm. Most your athlete. That's why a lot of times in sports, whether it's football, you know, baseball, you know, uh, combat arts, you know, the, the combat arts, you know, combat forces, those individuals tend to get themselves in trouble. And it's that 
same mindset again that's like well i can do this mm -hmm. i can overcome it and i'm like guys you don't realize since this person was a little kid we've been cultivating that mindset that they can overcome all odds yeah but, you know if something stands in your way you go through it man you know you're violent you take it and it's like wait a minute did anybody tell them how to shut this off so they can go home to mom and or go home to their wife and their kids and and and, and be in traffic and be cut off and not get out of the car and show that guy who the alpha male is mm -hmm. you know so and I th and how about this factor how about the fact that if that kid is that that blue chip recruit if he's been the 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 athlete who has been identified from uh you know adolescence to be uh to be a future superstar one thing that happens is when the money gets involved you have grown adults who are the coaches that actually they're financially dependent on the blue chip yes. recruit and not the other way around so that's really where the yes man that yes starts. absolutely and you so, being stuck yeah. in a realistic world i mean i've been there even with my amount of success mm -hmm. sometimes i have to you know that's why i keep my net my close my circle so close because at times i wonder it's like yeah yeah that that seems fine i'm like really you're okay with me doing this mm -hmm. oh yeah let's go here and hang out and stay out this late i'm all mm -hmm. wait a minute you just don't want to be on my bad side because you're afraid i'm going to cut you yep, off that's and right i'm not going to pay you after the fight are you that's really right. saying what's best for me or are you just you being that individual it's like the parent that doesn't want their kids to dislike them mm -hmm. so instead of saying what's right and taking the hard stance you're like well i don't want johnny to to not think that i'm his buddy it's like well no that's yep. not the position you're in you're a parent the same sometimes when you're in a coach's position or if you're in, you know you work with your athlete it's like you're not in the position to be the guy's buddy you're on payroll you're supposed to tell him like um no that's dumb you shouldn't be doing this that's absolutely if you want right. to cut me you cut me but i'm standing by my my guns and i'm going to say what's best for you and you know i also think uh to to finish the thought frank that i think a lot of times when somebody sees someone be so um, spectacular at one thing. I mean, really to be a savant, to be a genius. Yeah. I mean, John Jones is a physical genius at what he does. Uh, you know, Albert Einstein was a, was a mathematical genius at what he did, but a lot of times his socks didn't match. And it's very difficult for people when they see someone be the absolute best at something to comprehend that they can also be really below average Or they could just be things. human at everything else. Uh -huh. It's amazing how people think that just because you're phenomenal in some aspects mm. of your life, you're gonna be that, that, that means that you're yeah. a walking God in all aspects yeah. of your life. I'm like, no, you're a phenomenal fighter, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that, you know, in every other aspect of your life or, you know, that you are head and shoulders above everybody else. Mm -hmm. There's still a normal guy with a singular ability and talent. Because as I watch the way... Almost. Okay, let's see. We had, oh, we had the catcher. Tried yeah, Cage, to, almost Cage tried to pick, off, pick the runner off a second. He had a, somebody stole second there, but uh, it was uh, You know, and, it's, and also, too, society, I think, sometimes paints that picture for people think about it now when i was just at disneyland uh, my kids we got to go and see uh they, they wanted to see a michael jackson show mm -hmm. that he has there the what is it the uh oh. space futuristic captain captain, captain neo, nemo right? neo. Neo. neo captain neo, neo. neo. Okay. that's what it is yeah i can't help but sit there and i went along because the kids want to watch it and the mm -hmm. wife and the other group families were with yeah. like yeah let's go in there as i'm walking in i'm like Come on, guys. We know who this guy was, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, he can sing and dance with the best of them. I'm yeah. not going to deny that. But in other aspects of his life, uh, were questionable, to say the least. Yeah. And so I sat there, and at first, at first I had a little bit of a problem with it. I'm like, ah, I might just sit out. Then I'm like, no. I'm going to realize that at this point of his life, I enjoyed watching him sing and dance and be an entertainer. 
Do I want the guy to babysit my kids? No. And but I can't sit there and like somebody in entirety yeah. or dislike them in entirety. I kind of you realize that even somebody as superstar status as a Michael Jackson is a human being, and they have great things about them, and they have some horrible things about them. And so I think sometimes people are going to just have to do that with other individuals, just like you know, uh, John Jones. It's like, look, you can love how he fights and don't like his behavior outside the ring, but you can't sit there and go just because both sides are wrong. Just because you don't like his personal behavior doesn't mean you think he sucks as a fighter. Oh, he's a horrible fighter. It's like, whoa, whoa. Because you don't like his personal life? Mm -hmm. You think he's... It's not true. And on the other side of it, guys will defend him to the death. It's like, well, he's a great fighter. He's my favorite fighter. He did no wrong. It's like, well, no. I mean, you can love him as a fighter mm -hmm. and like him, but that doesn't mean that you have to tie the two together. You have to take things on a separate basis. Well, and let me offer a, a, a third side to that, and it's this. Uh, I can absolutely uh, acknowledge what somebody does as an athlete, but to me, at some point, there is something that supersedes that. And I don't mean to say that, uh, you know, every, every athlete, every musician, every actor, every famous person that you enjoy uh, watching work has to be the nicest guy in the world or your best buddy. But I also believe that at some point said person can be so alienating that you can make me not like them. Yeah, you know, take a look at uh, Barry Bonds is a phenomenal example. Here we're playing baseball or watching Barry Bonds, mm -hmm. you know, one of the best hitters to ever play baseball. And because of the, not even so much, because there's other players that came out on the Balco that, you know, were accused of taking anabolic steroids. And, and Barry Bonds never even being convicted of it, but just also under that same umbrella of uh, accusations and, you know, uh, whatnot. What really condemned him and what allowed them, I think, the Giants not to re-sign him. I and mean, again, I'm not a baseball, uh, uh, you know, fanatic where I'm in there as well as versed in the knowledge. But for what I understand from everybody I've ever talked to in the media, anytime it gets brought up, they're like, oh, you know, we don't like him. And, and it mm -hmm. seems like it wasn't a hard thing to find out that he had a very hard relationship with the media and, and getting out there with people. And, His teammates and, didn't like him. Right. And so I think that hurt him because i mean uh, there's other athletes i mean jason giambi got caught yeah apologize he's a friendly guy <laughs> uh, and you know what i mean hey i made a mistake like yep. anybody else we all in society no one is mistake free he he owned up to it and got on with his life and his name's not brought up and and sketches left and right and in a conversation yep. of you know have cheaters and asterisk marks and never being allowed in the hall of fame and, and but barry bonds because of his his uh, social conduct has really hurt his career. So I'll tell you a great Barry Bonds story. I used to, uh, when I first got started in sports radio uh, from Dallas, and uh, I would cover the Texas Rangers there. So periodically, uh, once interleague play started, the San Francisco Giants would come through town. This is when Barry Bonds was still playing. Now, in baseball, the way the locker room works is if uh, uh, there is a veteran on the team and there is an extra locker, the veteran gets two lockers, okay? So so a guy like Barry Bonds would be afforded that status where if there's one or two extra lockers, the guys who have the, you know, the seniority will get a spare right, locker, a right? Lock. That wasn't good enough for Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds got three, okay? And more, more so, they brought in a giant big screen television. Now, this was before the days of iPads and everybody can just stream everything. So you had a big, you know, 40-inch big screen TV in your locker room. That was a big deal. And he had a big leather recliner that he would sit in. But the best part was he would turn the big screen around so that only he could see it and none of his teammates could Oh, really? It. Yes. I mean, it was just... 
it was so absurd to look at. It wow. was just like, hey, all you idiots that are on this team with me, don't bother me. I'm over here in my corner. Yeah, see, I've never been that guy. Like, I think, <laughs> hey, take advantage of the perks of, of being good. Yeah. You know, if you're the man and you get to have advantages, then, hey, you know what? That's, that's what's afforded you. That's what we try to teach our kids in society. Like, the more you excel and the higher you climb the ladder, mm -hmm. the more benefits and the more you're going to, you're going to uh, receive. Um, but on the flip side, making sure that other people around you can enjoy the, the, the fruits of your labor doesn't make your fruits better. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always thought that's like, just because your meal's great and I trash the guy's meal next to me doesn't make my meal taste any better. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand the mentality. Anytime I can, you know, if I get access to something, if I can bring other people along with me and you can benefit too, like, hey, the more the merrier, man. You know, like, uh, that's why I'm here. Why not? Totally. Yeah, I'm just long for the ride. All right, so uh, let's do this. Uh, we're going to remind everybody how to get the show, and then uh, we're going to do a couple of segments with uh, Ricky Lundell, Frank's uh, coach, and uh, our co-host, and Todd Price as well. But as we uh, we broke the news last week, Frank, on uh, the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast that you've signed a new eight-fight deal with the UFC, so understandably uh, the questions are going to start. When is the next Frank Mir fight? Well, I've already put it out there with the UFC that I'm, I would like to fight in January. Give me okay. some time to heal up a few uh, dings and, uh, you know, a couple bangs I have uh, going. You know, obviously having two camps back-to-back -back as close mm -hmm. as I did. I didn't give myself the proper time to heal and rest. And so now I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of that now. Already back in the gym training uh, with Sean Manuel helping me out with strength and conditioning. Obviously still in there with Ricky Lindell and, and you know, Angela Reyes and my training partners, you know, James uh, Horn and and Todd Price and still, you know, so improving and working. Took good two weeks off mm -hmm. but uh, hopefully I can you know get a rematch sometime with Andre Lasky in in January that's what I'm kind of uh, shooting for and you know I've laid it out there and I will see you know how you know what comes back and we're going to uh, once we get the once you you get it uh, uh, official we're going to reveal it here Right? We're going to reveal it on your podcast. That's where we're going to break the Frank Muir news now and any other news we get is uh, here on the podcast. Well, that's good news, and I'll just uh, throw this in for what it's worth. You know, I came in mid-camp uh, on, on the last fight, and I didn't want to say anything at the time. I noticed some disorganization going on with the backpack. And right. that is now with a full camp. I know you didn't have a full camp, and I felt like – from my perspective as a backpack specialist, I didn't have a full camp either. So well, I'm looking forward to the full eight yes. weeks of organization. I'm looking of the forward backpack. to that also. All right. So we'll keep you posted on that. Subscribe to the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast, phoneboothfighting.com. You can also search it in iTunes. Get it there. Give it a five-star review. And most importantly, tell a friend. That's how we're going to grow this thing. And again, thank you to our sponsors, Real Water, Get Real at drinkrealwater.com, and Trent Cotney at trentcotney.com, who was part of Frank's uh, last training camp. More Phone Booth Fighting coming up next. Where I think we're mounting a comeback, right? Yeah, they're only down by one run right now. Yes, Mrs. Mir is nodding. Yes, we okay. So we need to uh, turn our don't we turn our baseball caps inside out? Isn't that what we do at this I've point? I've seen them stack. I don't know. I'm not big on superstition. All right, I'm gonna whatever makes people happy. I'll I go with. I'll Wikipedia that and figure it out. All right, uh, more MMA talk coming up next. Don't go anywhere. We'll go next to Richard Hunter from KRLD FM Radio. Uh, question for Daniel Cormier. Daniel, uh, obviously you've been a veteran of this sport for a long time. You worked very hard to get this title. Uh, now, now you're the champion defending a title. Does it feel uh, any different preparing for this fight or going into it knowing that you're the guy now that has the belt and you're defending it? You know, man, when you start fighting, you just dream that you be the, the champion of the world. Uh, when you accomplish that, you don't, you don't, 
you feel long. You know, it doesn't hinder you. It only helps, you know. So uh, my training has always been really tough. I've always worked hard. I've always been very uh, committed to my, my training and focused on my workout. But um, so it, it hasn't really changed. I'm still working as hard as I always work. Uh, and I just know now that there is no way that I want to part with that championship that I worked so hard for. You know, it's validation in knowing that all the hard work is finally paid off. And I'm continuing to work in that same type of way. And a question for the challenger, Alexander Gustafson. Uh, Alex, do you feel, you know, uh, prior to the Anthony Johnson fight, uh, that uh, win, had you won that fight, likely would have resulted in a title shot. Can you tell us, is there any difference in your mindset going into this fight as opposed to uh, the fight that you, uh, you you had with Anthony Johnson or, for that matter, uh, going into your title shot with John Jones, can you say that your mind is in any uh, type of a different place, or is it very similar? Well, uh, no, you know, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great in my mind. I, you know, I'm. I'm uh, I've been working so hard for this, for this, for this fight, for getting this opportunity. Uh, I'm fighting for the belt again, so it's been a really. It's been a really good, good camp for me. I've been training hard, you know, the the whole the whole time since, since I lost, and and uh, and uh, I just have an, another type of, of self confidence now, and and uh, and I learn from my mistakes. I never do them twice, you know, and uh, and you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for the next mission here, and uh, and uh, you know, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling really great. And finally, a question for Ryan Bader, and uh, actually, I suppose a dual question for Ryan Bader and Daniel Cormier, if, if Ryan could respond first. Uh, I, for, for a moment, when we did think that uh, you and Cormier were, were headed uh, toward a fight, obviously there was a lot of animosity that came up between the two of you. Uh, as you just said, you're, you're, you're focused on Rashad Evans now, but do you feel like there is still some residual personal animosity between you and Daniel Cormier, and, and, and do you think that if you do meet at some point down the line that uh that's going to come up again and if ryan if you could respond and then daniel yeah you know like i said earlier um i'm over all that whole situation you know um i go out there perfect situation i go out there be rashad and you know he gets through gustin and then hopefully we can meet for a title shot there and we can pick up where we left off but um you know like i was, I was telling damon i was done with it after you know after i got the name got rashad you know he's a he's a tough great opponent, and I got to get through him first. And so um, everything else kind of kind of fell by the wayside, and I, I'm I'm focused on Rashad, and that's it. I haven't really thought about it, um, you know, until uh, the media breeze brings it up and all that. But you know, Cormier's got to fight, and I've got to fight, and we can um, pick up where we left off after that, and that's it. Through this whole thing, the weird, the weirdest thing about this whole situation with Ryan Bader is 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 through the through the situation and the way that he's he's, he's carrying himself. I've actually gained a level of respect because it seems as though he's finally understanding the game. Make yourself relevant, and then people will put you in title fights and fights that really matter. So, you know, animosity, uh, obviously I didn't like that that happened at, at, at the post-fight press conference, and I was hoping to have my moment. But you know what, man? That guy's got a really tough fight ahead of him. I have a very tough fight ahead of, of myself, and uh, we'll see what happens after this. But realistically, throughout over the course of this whole deal, I've got this weird level of respect for Ryan more than I had before because he's actually really raised his his, his uh 
his visibility and his profile. I think people respect him for not only getting the job done inside the cage, but uh, knowing how to actually bring awareness to himself outside of the octagon. Thanks, guys. You are tuned in to the brand new phone booth fighting, emanating live for this segment from the Lundell MMA compound. Emanating. We are on the mat, myself, Richard Hunter, and head coach to the UFC stars, Ricky Lundell, along with his faithful assistant coach, Todd Price. He is here. Dun, da, da, da. Frank is, uh, mm-hmm. Frank, you know, I, I was saying before we got on the air, guys, that um, the name of this podcast uh, should be, it's called Phone Booth Fighting but we should probably call it uh, the patchwork quilt because uh, it's oftentimes that there are going to be two of the three of us on a segment or three of the four of us, but someone is inevitably going to be missing. That's how it goes, Richard, because we're all moving around all the time. It's not always going to be the same person missing, by the way. It's always horrible being busy and making money. Last week, it was uh, Ricky Lundell. He was missing. Because uh, he was cornering a fighter. Right? No, nope. last week I wasn't cornering a fighter. Not uh, what I heard. In Brazil. You, I was. I was in. Well, I did corner a fighter. Yes. Okay. But not oh, in Brazil. Changing your story. Yeah. So I. I did that here in Las Vegas. That's what I'm talking about. Oh well, I thought you were talking about Sao Paulo. No, I know. I, I know. know. Well, I know. That's that's how spread out we are. Now, what you're talking about is you and Frank ran off to Brazil for a romantic <laughs> getaway. And then you came back, but... With our wives. You messed up. Yeah, you did. Yeah, they went too. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> said they didn't see you the whole time, but whatever. And then uh, and then Frank and I... It was a getaway. Frank and I... <laughs> last week, Frank and I taped the podcast with special guest sparring partner James Horn in the gift shop of the Hofbrau House. We just stood there in the gift shop with microphones and recorded the podcast while a bunch of tourists tried to get around Frank so they could buy their grandkids t-shirts from the souvenir store. Frank, I feel like Frank loves to go to Hoffer House and places, places that they don't watch UFC fighting at all. They're busy like with strongman competitions and some, some girl curling on the side, like later hosen specials. But yeah. Frank's over there like, I got to go to Hopper House because no one will recognize <laughs> That's me That's actually a great plan, man. Yep. Well, we did the podcast from there last week. We're doing the podcast on the mat at the uh, Lundell MMA compound, at least for this segment. And uh, uh, if all goes well, you're going to be hearing things a little bit out of order today because if all goes well, I'll be doing a couple of segments with Frank at his son's baseball game later tonight so you'll just hear some some uh, uh overly enthusiastic Angry, screaming parents. parents yeah in the they in do, the background they do get upset at these things <laughs> they oh, really do and i'm just waiting for the day that that either i'll be i'll be cornering jade and my son or frank will be cornering bella we might have and some irate you. father is <laughs> yeah. going to come out of the stands just losing his mind yeah, and uh, there'll be some kind We're of. We're gonna have crazy... to ban you and Frank from the corner from all your kids' wrestling oh, matches. Oh my gosh, because it's gonna get crazy. There's always, I swear, like it doesn't matter who it is, Richard. But here's the facts: every single person, no matter their sport, for some reason, every man thinks they know how to fight. Like they, I've they, made that mistake. They go, yeah, it's a bad mistake. They go, they're playing basketball, right? Mm-hmm. They they dunk. You know, and they they turn and they get in some guy's face, and little do they know, 
but it's Chris Weidman just playing a pickup game yeah. at the local place, and they're like, really, boy? That's what you get. That's what you get. And it always goes down to a fight at the end. Like in the end of the end zone, all of a sudden, two guys are trying to hit each other on their pads, and mm-hmm. they both, they're, they're not like, hey, just so you know, I'm a professional football player. You're a professional football player. Let's have a let's have a contest to see who can throw the ball farther. Now that we're both angry, instead, they go into a, another realm completely, which is an actual sport. And they're like, Richard, I am going to fight you right now with no fighting experience whatsoever, and I am going to show my manhood by beating you up in this place. But they have no training. Hopefully, that's the guy I pick a fight with, the one that has no training. <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's a limited have, scenario. Because you have training now, that's so you've right. decided. Where I'll have an advantage. That's where I just raise my uh, shirt tail up slightly and I say, hey, fella, you see this belt I'm wearing right here? Blue. Oh. Okay, blue. Man, Richard, we have, <laughs> Todd, we have James Horn that always corners with us. He's Frank Mears black belt, right? Right. He drives his truck around. Bro. And he gets <laughs> road rage, like really bad. And I'm oh, yeah? always like, He's like talking smack to somebody <laughs> through the window. And I'm like, bro, just let it go, man. And he's like, no, no, that guy just did this. And I'm like, I'm just hoping the other guy will let it go. Like, dude, listen to me. I know my friend's being a jerk, but yeah. walk away because he really will beat you. Oh, up. I see. You the time good, when we, you're the good we cop. had. You I good have, cop. I have to be the good yeah. cop because James will. James goes crazy. I'll dude, take, don't let him. Don't 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 let him fool you, man. Come on. Let's let's think back to San Diego. The crazy guy running down the street after doodly his girlfriend. Doodly All doodly of a sudden, doodly doodly. like, I don't know Ricky, this story. So Ricky, <laughs> this guy is chasing his girlfriend down the street shirtless. In San He's, Diego. Was in this San when, Diego. just recently when Frank had his fight? Yes. yes. Okay. So a couple me, months ago. Me, James, and Angelo are all standing next to him. Nobody says a word. All of a sudden, Ricky goes from like happy, joking, having a good time to silent and just looking at this dude. He's This guy's like 100 yards away in the dark, and Ricky saw him, and I'm like, Dude, you can't even see a street sign, but you see that dude walking down this, the street. This man. guy, uh, this guy <laughs> yeah. was like chasing after his girlfriend, like a like angry, angry. Oh, bro. And she was like running. Uh oh. And she comes running by us, and our group just all of a sudden, all of our feather feathers just ruffle up, like <laughs> like. I was like, we're going to be a Nick Diaz corner, like come out. <laughs> Frank's on his own. The night, what is the night before weigh-ins? We all go to jail for for stopping this guy running people down. And all down. we wanted was some Mexican food. Oh, uh-huh. and we were just trying to get some Mexican food, but this guy came running the at us. And luckily, James is six foot five, two ninety, right? So he's a big guy. Todd, he's like two hundred pounds, five ten, wrestling stud. So he's a big guy. Angelo. He's, he's he's a heavy big low. guy, you know, mm-hmm. but he's he's at least big enough. He'll deter some people. And then I'm a small guy, but I'm feisty. Okay, yeah. I'm a feisty one at least. This yeah. is the only point in San Diego with all the James Horn stuff. I wish we had a GoPro because it would have been amusing. Yeah, but he's get in and of itself. But this is the only point where Ricky like, boom, snaps, perks up, and everyone goes. Where are we going? Yeah, and then the, the whole group, the whole group kind of deterred this guy away, and the girl like ended up going the other way. I thought we were going to get in a real fight there. Oh, we were just waiting. If he would have brushed one of us, 
Yeah, no, he <laughs> so walked by that, us close, and we were like, "What is like? What is you the problem?" Inquired. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. he like looked, and he walked the other way, and like started swearing, and turned back around. It was really a strange scenario, Richard. <laughs> you guys are lucky. I had to go this way instead. Or else <laughs> be in there, trouble. I was already serious... going. This is the way I'm going anyway. <laughs> That's exactly how it went yeah. down. But there was a serious problem between him and his girl. But oh, bro, <laughs> it is nice whenever you have like. Frank and James around because they're so big that they deter problems before they happen. With yeah. you, Richard, it's not so fun. Like they like walk in, Richard standing there, and they're like, "I will take your miniature golf." That's what they think. But Ball after away. after a twenty minute verbal beat down, they're like, oh, "Can I just leave?" Yeah, is- I'm like, "I'm not done giving you a tongue lashing, good sir." <laughs> and it's, sir. I feel like I feel like when Richard goes after people, it's like an episode of of Frasier where Miles starts attacking somebody verbally the it's whole not even time. Fair. <laughs> That's like I'm Richard's the, move. You know how how they were how they used to refer to John Fitch as a like a grinder. You know that's what I do verbally. You're it's a over, verbal grinder. It's over five rounds. I just break a person's will to live verbally. This is like a nonstop pressure game. You two yeah. are the, both of you are just. I got you. I got you verbally. Speaking and then Ricky's of Ricky's like, I'll smash you physically, and then yeah. I'm just like, forget the verbal. Let me go I, I grab find, this dude and throw him down, man. I find uh, <laughs> when when I'm on my game rounds one through three, they'll offer a little bit of a risk, like a but, but but I but I said it. But hold on a sec. But I and then by rounds four and five, they they're slow just silent down after that. They're done with that. They're just weeping. The verbal grinding, the John Fitch mm-hmm. verbal grinding, which he has another fight coming up. Yes, he does. He is going to be taking on Yushin Okami in World Series of Fighting, and hopefully we're going to be talking to uh, Ali Abdelaziz about this. I know uh, I've got something scheduled with John Fitch over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you we'll know, be you talking know, to him. Then it's going to be big because Paul Yaris is out. Yes. So he, he had his title stripped. Right. So these two are going to have a fight. Yeah. To find out who's going to step up to fight Jake Shields to take the WSOF title. And that's that's going to be a big deal. That's my understanding. And all of a sudden, they've got a very compelling fight on their hands over there. So uh, uh, we'll be talking to uh, both John Fitch himself and uh, Ali Abdelaziz. One of them uh, possibly on this episode of the show, but definitely both of them uh, over the next couple of weeks. I did want to mention, though, real quick before we got off the subject, you're talking about, you know, not knowing who you're messing with scenarios. There's a great example of this on Fight Pass right now. Dana White has a new show that you can only see on Fight Pass, and it's called Looking for a Fight. Now, the scenario is it's him, Matt Sarah, and that guy Nick the Tooth. Have you ever yeah, seen Nick the Tooth? I know Nick okay. the Tooth, yeah. So it's those he three trains, guys. He trains jujitsu out of California. Yes, okay, so it's those three guys. And what they're doing is they're going around the country to small shows scouting fighters. They saw a guy who's actually a guy named Sage Northcutt on the first episode who's going to be fighting this Saturday night at UFC 192. So not obviously not everybody's going to get signed, but they're going around checking out prospects, right? Little little small shows. Kind of like these. Remember that old Tap Out reality series yeah. those guys did? Yeah, where those guys cruised around. Yeah, it's it's that idea, except instead of a RV, they're in uh, Dana's plane. Private jets. Yes. But uh, they went to rural Louisiana, and they are at a, uh, a fight card, and it turned out that one of Matt Sarah's Sarah Longo affiliate gyms trained a guy who was on the card. Matt didn't know him and never met him or whatever, but you know, by, by uh, several degrees of separation, Matt has an obvious interest in one of the guys fighting. Okay, so the guy that that guy is fighting uh, has a friend who is the ring announcer. 
Okay. The ring announcer is sitting cage side. Of course, they've got Dana and Matt, Nick the Tooth, and Evander Holyfield, by the way, who was thrown in there of randomly. Course, of course, Evander um, Holyfield yeah. is sitting next just, to Nick the just Tooth. Just hanging yes. out. Who's so, missing a tooth, in case anybody didn't know. That's, that's why they call him Nick the exactly. Tooth. Exactly. So he's, they're all sitting front row. The ring announcer, who is friends with the person that is fighting the Sarah Longo guy, is not only openly cheering the other guy, the ring announcer openly cheering, yelling, oh, this guy thought he'd come in, get an easy fight, you show him what's up. But he's also got a 40-ounce that he's drinking <laughs> in between I like rounds. this fight card already. Yeah. And so Matt Sarah's sitting there listening to this, you know, and him saying, you know, some very disrespectful things about the Sarah Longo guy. And next thing you know, Matt Sarah is in this guy's face telling him he needs to be respectful and they're having to separate them and Vander Holyfield's confused as to how he should handle this uh, this awkward situation. It's it's a great example of, you know, you thought you're just, you know, you're 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 John with a, a short pudgy guy. So did guy. the guy the guy didn't know who the former welterweight champion of the world was? Did not appear to know. No, so he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. He, he doesn't know who he is, right? No. And then this guy becomes, I guess, the the scapegoat for yes. for the show. Yes. But he's the ring announcer. Oh, this is cool. Great stuff. Coming up next, though, uh, we're going to talk about, speaking of great stuff, what's coming up this weekend at UFC 192. We'll preview that fight card with some major uh, title implications, including one title that's going to be defended on that card in the main event. That's coming up next on Phone Booth Fighting. Keep it here. You are tuned in and listening to the brand new Phone Booth Fighting. Myself, Richard Hunter, my co-host, Ricky Lundell, coach to the UFC stars. Our co-host, UFC heavyweight Frank Mir, not with us at the Lundell MMA compound on this segment, but that doesn't mean he's not going to pop up once or twice on this show as we uh, progress, if he hasn't already, as I was explaining uh, in a previous segment. Sometimes we take things a bit out of order because when you're the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, you have a busy schedule. And so I basically, we make a little game of it, Ricky. Frank tries to avoid letting me know where he's going to be, and I find out anyway, and then I just show up there. So like last week, I showed up at Hofbrau House here in Las Vegas with mobile recording equipment, microphones in both hands while he was eating dinner with his family, and I took him away from them, and we recorded the, the podcast. You think that's difficult? Imagine trying to train him. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. You show up well, with you just some podcast stuff. I got to show up with a resolite <laughs> mat and roll it in the door. You got to show up wearing a belly pad. <laughs> like, like, hey, let's get to work, man. Let's get moving. All of a sudden, Angelo pops out of the back of Todd's truck with his belly pad on and his <laughs> he's, mitts. He's just running in. We're ready to go, man. Get out here. Hopper house. Let's go. So I'll, be doing, I'll be doing the same thing uh, on uh, this week's show. I'll be tracking Frank down at his, uh, his kid's Little League game. But that's for another segment. Right now, uh, before we get into uh, the goings-on this weekend at UFC 192, we do want to remind you that we are brought to you by a pair of of great sponsors. First of all, the great Trent Cotney over at TrentCotney.com. I often say that uh, in this 
Reebok modern era of sponsorship in the UFC, people are going to go back decades later watching UFC's fight pass, and they're going to have two big questions when they watch the old footage of the fighters with all the sponsors all over them. Number one, what's a dynamic fastener? And number two, who the hell is Trent Cotney? Well, we answer the second of those two questions for you right here on the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast when I tell you that uh, Trent Cotney at TrentCotney.com is a major supporter and benefactor of a lot of UFC fighters. He was a sponsor of Frank Mears in his last training camp against Andre Arlovsky, and uh, he'll be sponsoring a couple of fighters. Uh, coming up over the next couple of uh, months, Danny Martinez, who's going to be on that Australian card, and uh, also Frankie Signs, who's going to be taking on Uriah Faber in December here in Las Vegas. And we'll be talking to both of those Trent Cotney fighters uh, before their fight. So uh, look ahead a little ways for that. And then also the greatness of real water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. I just, uh, I, I say I, I should say we, uh, myself and Ricky and Todd Price, who's here with us, and a whole army of uh, small children that live here at the uh, Lundell MMA army compound. Army of small children. They were. They were. I pulled out a sweatshop. You running they're, here? Man. They're it was like hanging a, out. It was like a. It was like a mass of blonde-headed ants. Right. Where do you think Resolite makes the, their mats, dude? That's the future of the <laughs> UFC, right there, coming in and out. Well, they uh, they unloaded about thirty cases of real water out of my car, and we put it here in the uh, garage. And uh, we thank Real Water for that, keeping us hydrated. Check them out. A great uh, product and the official water sponsor of uh, Phone Booth Fighting. Check it out at uh, drinkrealwater.com. All right, so UFC 192, guys, gets underway uh, this Saturday night. The main event, of course, is uh, the UFC's light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier, putting the title on the line against Alexander Gustafsson. Cormier recently won that vacated title by defeating Anthony Rumble Johnson. Gustafsson actually coming off of a uh, loss to Anthony Johnson. One of those rare situations where a guy uh, coming off a loss gets a, uh, a title shot. And that's exactly what's uh, up next here for Alexander Gustafsson. Of course, all that was complicated by the uh, John Jones situation uh, that uh, has now been resolved, at least legally. We'll see how quickly it takes for him to get back into the UFC. But first of all, thoughts, uh, Ricky, you first. uh, Thoughts on uh, the fight this weekend, Cormier's wrestling versus Gustafsson striking. Well, I think Cormier definitely has the advantage on this fight. He, he, Cormier doesn't have the power of an Anthony Johnson where he can just walk in and knock out Gustafsson, but he is good at breaking that distance and keeping the fight where he needs to be, and that's that's what Cormier does best. If you look at all his fights, you look at how he wins every fight, he does a very good job taking his opponent out of their game plan and keeping them in a bad spot. No matter how boring it needs to be, he'll take it to that level. If it needs to be exciting, you might want to call another fighter, but... If uh, if it needs to be just like he needs to grind you out, he'll grind you out. If you if he goes in against Anthony Johnson, I saw him take the hardest hits from Anthony Johnson. But the thing is about Cormier, he just doesn't stop coming and he just keeps putting the pressure. And he he knew that he just had to grind him and he'd get the win when he fought Frank Muir, for instance. He knew that he just had to go in there and hold him and and just not move and he'd get the win there. And he's willing to do those things. Gustafsson is not willing to do those things, and that actually puts Gustafsson at a disadvantage because he might start opening up in the wrong spots, which allows Cormier to get inside and start to put that pressure on him and to not let him go. And uh, I just I think the 
the real technical ability goes to Cormier in the fight. I think the the ability to stick to a game plan for five rounds goes to Cormier in the fight. Do I think Gustafsson has has great skills? He definitely does, but it's hard to come off a loss like he just had, and it's hard to come off the loss to John Jones. He was unstoppable, and then now he's had to deal with some demons, and we got to see how he's going to come back from that. Those kind of those kind of losses, they're very very difficult for a fighter at that level to deal with, and uh, I don't know if he's going to come back the same way. Todd, how do you see it? I uh, got to agree with Ricky on this one. Obviously, I mean Cormier's level of wrestling is bar none the best in the light heavyweight division. Um, however, he's also knocked out some solid heavyweights. I mean, he did knock out Bigfoot Silva with one shot, so he does possess some power, but does he possess that power against an Alexander Gustafsson? To Who's so actually, much taller? To get and reach up that high and catch mm-hmm. him is going to be a very difficult task, even though he's going to get in the pocket. I think his advantage is dragging Gustafsson down to the ground, wearing him out like he did with Rumble, and then trying to put him away while he's on the ground and getting that TKO stoppage, I think, is his advantage in this fight. There's no way he's going to knock him out on the feet. We know he's not going to submit him. That's I mean, Gustafsson's just got to keep the range. That's the truth. He, if he, he keeps the range, he does well. The problem is, is keeping the range against Daniel Cormier proves to be very difficult, Richard. Yeah, and I think something that uh, Ricky alluded to it here a second ago, but it's something that we don't often uh, give credit to Daniel Cormier for, perhaps, because maybe because his his uh, other elements of his skill set are so impressive. We talk about the wrestling. We talk about his grinding ability. But, you know, Daniel Cormier has one defeat on his record to John Jones. But, but other than that, not only uh, was he an undefeated fighter, but all of his fights, including the most recent one against Anthony Johnson and including the fight against John Jones, not only has Daniel Cormier never been finished, he's never looked like he was close to being finished. I mean, he, he, he took those hard shots, like you said, from Anthony Johnson, but I don't think there was ever a point in that fight for me that I thought, oh, my God, Daniel Cormier is in deep, deep trouble. No, and he, I'll doesn't, take, he doesn't wither like mm-mm. that. And I also never had that thought against John Jones. I knew John Jones won that fight, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, ever anywhere close to finishing Daniel Cormier. I agree. I agree 100%. I think the, the truth is this fight is really going to be the fight that – that we get to see as who's really the challenger for the championship right now. I think most people have already said it. It's it's already out there. Everybody understands uh, that Cormier, yes, he may be in the UFC right now and he may be in the position where he has the belt, but everybody feels that he's not truly the true champion of the division. Yes, John Jones made mistakes and, and lost a belt a different way, but you are not the baddest man on the planet. And that's what the UFC is about. So I think these two guys coming in, they're going to have a fight. And then it, it looks like John Jones might w- make his way right back in the UFC. And we'll see who the real challenger is to fight him again. And it sets up nicely either way. You're either going to get John Jones taking on the guy who, who took him further and came closer to beating him than anyone else ever has, which is Alexander Gustafsson. Or you're going to have a rematch against Daniel Cormier, and uh, I don't with Cormier holding the belt and you not holding it. With Cormier holding the belt, with you being out of action for at least a year at that point, and also with a lot of question marks over your head, and with an improved Cormier. I mean, first of all, he he looked like a champion. 
uh, in his fight against Anthony Johnson. And assuming he gets by Alexander Gustafsson for the sake of the hypothetical scenario we're talking about right now, he'll be on a two-fight winning streak against the two best light heavyweights not named Daniel Cormier or John Jones. So either way, uh, I don't know anybody who watched the first Jones-Cormier fight and didn't think that they wouldn't like to see him fight again at some point, uh, myself included. And I think either way, you get a very compelling matchup out of that. I got to say, it kind of worked out in in uh, Jones's favor when it comes to the fact that he gets to fight between two dudes that he's already beaten before where Anthony Johnson or uh, yeah Anthony Rumble is now out of that spot and he had never fought him before and he allowed Cormier to knock him down to the division so now we don't have to worry about a fight with Anthony Johnson instead you're only worrying about a fight against two people you had already beat well that's true but Anthony if 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 Let's uh, here's a couple of more ifs down the road, but whoever comes out on top of this fight, Cormier or Gustafsson, John Jones is going to get them, and if he can get past them, uh, his uh, congratulatory gift is going to be a date with Anthony Johnson. Or do they imagine. give do they give John Jones a warm up fight in Anthony Johnson before he gets back to a title? No way. I don't There's think there's no way. There's too much yeah. money right there. Yeah, you get double the money just by going to to fight to fight Daniel Cormier right off the bat and or or Alexander Gustafson and then right after that you're going to get huge money because uh Johnson is should have happened already. Yeah, the Rumble yeah. fight should have happened. I mean, Rumble just has to wait for the right opportunity to take the fight. It's just you never know when Jones is going to make it back. Mm-hmm. So how do you time it? And really Rumble needs to go in there and make sure to be convincing with his knockouts and hurting guys the way that he does inside. Like the, against Jimmy Manoa, that's, that's what exactly he needs. what he did. Yeah. He needs to do it one more time in the interim between mm. now and when after this fight takes place so that that way he can be at the top of the division. Oh, boy, that's that's interesting because the, the tough call there is who do you give him? Because you've got, you've got Bader and Rashad Evans on the undercard of this fight. I mean, I, I I guess depending on how those and two man, come out of it, I don't I don't see him walking in and just slugging Rashad and dropping him. Yeah, I mean, if you want to give him a really exciting fight where he can he can put an end to somebody, you're not going to give him Rashad Evans. But they're also out of the same camp, so I don't think you're going to give him Rashad. Anyway. Well, that's true. People people give each other people out of the same camp. I've seen <laughs> Rashad fight somebody out of his camp before. <laughs> yeah, and but that, that turned into a big fiasco. But you're right; that probably won't happen. Yeah, again, but. That did that. That showed up in the past before. But you look at the you look at the guys. I mean, against Bader, yes, Anthony Johnson has a good shot against a Bader to uh, to make a convincing <sighs> knockout stylistically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bader's good at slowing somebody down. And the problem with fighting a Bader is that if he goes in there, grabs you, and slows you down, even if you beat him, you don't get the title shot because it's boring. Coming up next, we'll talk about that uh, Bader-Evans uh, fight. We'll also talk about the welterweight co-main event that's very important to the 170-pound title picture. We'll do it next on Phone Booth Fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting. Subscribe to our weekly podcast at phoneboothfighting.com or in iTunes at Phone Booth Fighting. Give it a five-star review, won't you? I mean, you don't even have to finish listening to one episode. I can tell you how good it's going to be. Take my word for it. I wouldn't lie to you. Uh, Give it a five-star review. Most importantly, tell a friend. That's what we need to help spread the word and keep this thing growing. New episodes every week. From me, your host, Richard Hunter, also UFC heavyweight two-time champion Frank Mir. Not with us on this segment, but uh, he'll be uh, appearing on uh, other portions of this show 
as he does every week. His head coach and coached other UFC stars like Carlos Condit, like Travis Brown. A couple of guys who, well, we, Carlos has a date booked, and uh, Travis should have his next fight coming up here uh, sometime soon. Ricky Lundell and uh, his assistant coach, Todd Price, are all here on the mat at the Lundell MMA compound for this segment a uh, quick word about that before we go back to ufc 192 ricky so now we have uh carlos condit set to challenge for the ufc welterweight title against robbie lawler that's now going to be on the big new year's card right yes it is and it's going to be a great great one because it's here in las vegas so that's closer to the Lundell MMA compound than Australia. Oh my gosh, so much closer! As soon as as soon as I got the call, the the one thing that's sad is is it was going to be in November, which was awesome because mm-hmm. it'd be early enough. Then I go back to Gorman Wrestling and uh, we rock that. But why not pick up a UFC title right mm-hmm. in the middle of the Gorman Wrestling season, in between a state championship season? Let's go get the UFC title. A lot of people don't realize what happened to postpone the Lawler-Condit fight uh, that was originally supposed to headline that uh, Australian stadium card in November that's now going to be headlined by Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. But Ricky, knowing he did not want to travel to Australia, and this is this is pretty sorry of him, what he did. He and Robbie Lawler, a lot of what people don't of, realize. What kind of lie is about to come out? A lot Mary of people. Mary is going to run with this story. Be careful. <laughs> a lot of people do not realize that uh, Ricky Lindell and Robbie Lawler are both uh, scout masters with the same Boy Scout troop. <laughs> and they were. I am an Eagle Scout. Did you know that? No, but that's clearly why you're one of the, the that's why this is brought troop up. leaders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, well, is the tradition in scouting. A lot of times you guys take the younger scouts out on camping trips and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were pitching uh, a tent. And what happened was, and I mean literally, mm-hmm. what happened was, uh, you know, you take this. Uh, Todd, you, you maybe didn't hear about this. You, you I, take, I this, you take the, this trip. the stakes <laughs> of the tent, right? And you got to hammer them down, you know, like the with the mallet and everything. Okay. And so what happened was, Ricky, by the way, knowing full well this fight with Carlos Condit was coming up, and he was going to be making this trip to Australia, he got Robbie Lawler. He said, hey, hold the stake right here so I can tap this into the ground. Ricky, Todd, is Ricky not the most competitive person you know and insanely accurate? I mean, if he sets out to do something, he does it, and he does it perfectly. Well, for some reason, this one aberration just just happened to to occur in this situation that was beneficial to him. Robbie Lawler held that spike uh, of the tent, the stake in the ground, because he trusted Ricky, and Ricky hit him, hit his thumb, this outlandish with, story wow, is awesome. With the mallet, okay. How do we and get this? How do we get this I, meme set up? But with, did, did with I, Robbie holding a stake and he's smashing I, his thumb with a sledgehammer? Did I make him pull out of the fight, though? Well, I, I should say yes. <laughs> no, I should say that uh, all of a sudden it was that uh, that thumb injury, that finger injury, that caused him to have to postpone the fight. And, uh, well, look who just happened to be standing there with the proverbial smoking gun in his hand, none other than Ricky Lundell. This, this who story it shows be, up on Boy Scouts of America tomorrow right on the front page. It'll be in Boy's Life. <laughs> but, it just so happened to, they still publish that? It just so happened to be 
one of the coaches of his opponent, Carlos Condit. So, uh, you know, way to set an example for Who the kids. Who even let that trip occur that both of them would be on the weird. same trip anyhow? <laughs> then whoever hired them both at the same time, that guy should be fired. Yeah. This is an incredible media source. Well, I tell you what. <laughs> It was. It's a story. Dude, I don't know where he gets his info from, but man, he is. It's, good. it's a story. It's a story that's been underreported. But we break news here on the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast. Last week, we broke the fact that Frank Mirror has signed a new eight fight deal with the UFC, and this and it also goes to show you too that we're we're not afraid to do what is uh, politically incorrect. I mean, it's not. Listen, it's not in my best interest to report a story like that when the guy that I'm implicating right here, Ricky Lindell, is my co-host. I mean, now it's going to be tense between us. I don't know. I look. I see the look you're giving me, Ricky, He's, and I don't. I don't blame you for being upset. But you know what? There's it, a lot was, of pressure in here. Not now. only not it only was, the co-host, but your coach as well. I know that could turn out to be bad. I know, that but is, listen. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I I have nothing if not journalistic integrity, and uh, you didn't have to do that, Ricky, and you did, and you made the choice to do it, and uh, now there's consequences to pay. We alluded to Rashad Evans and Ryan Bader facing off against each other. Rashad Evans has been out for quite some time. Bader was originally thought to get a uh, title shot against Daniel Cormier. That was talked about for a few minutes before it was put on the back burner. We talked about that because of that explosion they yeah. had at the press conference. Yes. I was in the room. That was tense that night. What the, you only, guys... the only thing that held that title shot from coming together was a Cormier shoe didn't go flying across the That's room. right. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a title shot, you got to see his shoe fly. <laughs> Bloody. Then you'll get that title You know, shot. some people throw down a gauntlet. Daniel, no. Corpier, Daniel Cormier throws back, a shoe. He goes back to the old days of Austin Powers <laughs> where he's throwing shoes and trying to, trying to hit the champion of the world with my shoe from across the room. That's pretty... Pretty crazy. Pushing Dave's shoulder out of the way. You know he's guy. upset. You know he's upset when the shoe goes flying. And then later he's like, suck. I got to walk all the way through this That's casino right. and I don't have my shoe on and there's freaking vomit and spilled oh, drinks on the floor. Man. This sucks. Well, how, how do you do it all the time. So How do you guys see it, uh, uh, Bader and uh, Evans? Do you think uh, Evans has any ring rust coming back? I think... I think Evans's range and his speed is going to be a little too much for Bader. Mm-hmm. However, you, yes, Bader is fresh, um, but Rashad has been training. He's been training hard. He's got the likes of Neil Melanson there at the Black Zillions now. He's got Henry Hooft over there at the Black Zillions now. I think that with his training partners in in Rumble and even Stefan Struve, that he's got an advantage in this in this camp right now. And I think the fact that with Bader owning that gym in Arizona and trying to bring in new guys and fresh blood, it it's not going to bode well for him. And Rashad's going to win. You can't this one. serve two masters. It's very nope. difficult to run your own gym and do all of that and do the other. It's like Mark Super. Munoz. You look at him; he's been having a hard time doing that. You know, uh, I mean, Joe Lozon had said publicly it was difficult for him to do that. I mean, so you know, anybody when they open their own gym, they have other things they're working on besides just their fight career. That's very difficult. Now, that being said, I mean, I'm texting Neil Melanson right now. And uh, he's going to be coming out to Vegas with Michael Chandler. They're going to be doing some work out here. But Neil moving over with Henry Hooft and them doing that camp right now, I just don't see how Evans doesn't win. Mm -hmm. I just cannot see it because that's what Evans has been waiting for is solid striking, solid grappling, and uh, the right time to step back in after his injuries have healed up. He's got the right time right now. He's going to push right up that division, and he'll be knocking back on the door of that title shot, in my opinion. Him healthy is a scary, scary individual. That's how he won the title. He was healthy. He came in. He dominated that 205-pound division. And right now, he's 
back on track, I think, and this this fight's going to really get him back in the game and get him right into that contention spot. Lots of reasons to tune into UFC 192 from Houston, Texas, my home state, this uh, weekend. And then, of course, uh, we'll be recapping it on next week's phone booth fighting. Let's remind you how to keep track of everybody online, myself, social media, Twitter, and Instagram, and Periscope. I'm occasionally Periscoping at Richard Hunter. You can follow that man, Coach, to the UFC stars Ricky Lundell on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at Ricky Lundell, and of course, at Todd Price uh, on Twitter and Instagram, at the Frank Mir uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Stay tuned, more phone booth fighting coming up next. We're talking UFC with one of the ladies who's going to be kicking off the main card this Saturday, UFC 192 down in Houston. It is the winner of the Ultimate Fighter Reality Series, the first woman to ever do so, Bantamweight contender Juliana Pena. Juliana, how are you doing? Nice to talk to you. Good. How are you doing? Great. Looking forward to seeing you back in action. And uh, this is a this is kind of a curious matchup. First of all, the biggest matchup of your career, uh, taking on number six ranked Jessica I. But I think what makes this uh, also interesting is the fact that Jessica was just recently defeated by Misha Tate back in July. And I know you have a close association with uh, Misha. So let me start there and ask. Uh, you know, how much were you and Misha able to train together for this camp, and how much did her uh, recent information having having fought Jessica help you out uh, me and Lisa didn't get a chance to train because she's super busy um, however we did talk about it and she gave me some pointers and so I'm just going to stick stick to those and, and um, trust in what she said it looked like Jessica I in that fight had uh, she was dropped early by Misha. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the fight, and uh, then had some trouble with her pressure afterward. And you, uh, if, if you're known for anything, it is aggression and a and a pressure style. Do you anticipate Jessica having the same type of problem with uh, with your pressure as she did with Misha? Um, I think that Jessica's going to try to. Uh, stick and move, you know, throw her punch combinations and throw her kick combinations and, and get out of the way and defend the takedown. And, um, you know, I'm just going to do everything in my uh, abilities to, to focus on what I know I can do and not necessarily worry about what she can do too much. So what, whatever she's going to try to do, she's got she's to try to stop me. So whoever gets there first is going to be the victor in this fight. You know, you made such a splash coming on to uh, the Ultimate Fighter and and ultimately winning the show, and then of course you were you were out with an injury for uh, about sixteen months before uh, we got to see you return uh, against Milana Dudieva. What uh, obviously, uh, Juliana, you had not missed a step once we saw you fight uh, Dudieva. You finished her in the first round, but during that sixteen month period, what would you say was uh, the you know the key element of of, of your maturation? That that maybe we didn't get to see because you were off television. Um, I think the 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 key to uh, getting back and everything was that was just sticking my nose to the grindstone, doing everything that the doctors asked of me, and making sure that I was putting in my work not on the mat but in a physical therapy sense. And so every day I just did exactly what the doctors required of me and worked diligently almost as diligently as I do when I'm training for a fight and uh, that was the, the key to, to coming back and, and, and I knew in my head that if I just did what the doctors asked that I would be back in no time and that a knee injury was not going to be the thing to keep me out of this division. 
You know, both your your UFC fights have ended in the first round, and even before you came to the UFC, you only went past the second round one time. Um, was that is is that style of aggression and that style of let's get this fight over with as quickly as I can and get my hand raised? Is that just something that that you immediately recognized was going to be part of your fighting style when when you got involved in the sport? How did that evolve? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think sometimes when you get into this sport, um, you either got it or you don't. And uh, knowing that I had never participated in any combat sport, never did any wrestling or taekwondo, judo, karate, uh, jiu-jitsu, anything like that before, I, I, you know, I turned 19 years old looking to lose some weight in a women's cardio kickboxing class. So I think that I was just, uh, when I threw my very first punch, it was love at first punch, and I could honestly see that I was just maybe an angry girl that just needed to get some aggression out. And uh, I've always been in that mind frame of, of being a fighter my whole life, having to fight for everything against my siblings and against my cousins and um, just growing up, always feeling, you know, trapped into a corner and always having to fight my way out of everything. I've always been an aggressive girl. And uh, I think it was something that was very natural for me. And uh, you either got it or you don't, and you can't teach that type of style of fighting. And I think that that's kind of what sets me apart from the rest of the girls in the division. The ultimate fighter fights don't technically count on your pro record win or loss because they're exhibitions, but do you feel like in your case those fights actually matter even more so than they have for other ultimate fighter winners given the fact that uh, you know most of those women went into the UFC and many are still are still in the UFC. Do you feel like that actually uh, mattered a little bit more than it would in the normal case of an ultimate fighter winner? I, I absolutely do because, you know, this was the very first season of, of women on The Ultimate Fighter. There's been 17 seasons, not to mention countless years of men fighting in the UFC and having the opportunity to be displayed on the biggest stage of mixed martial arts in the world. And women have not ever had that opportunity. So to be the first one to, to win on, on that TV show and to, and to run through everybody that they put in front of me, I feel like uh, it speaks for itself. And not only that, but I clearly, clearly remember them being real fistfights to me and me getting trapped inside that UFC octagon. You know, maybe it was the ultimate fighter octagon, but it was, you know, the company is bought by by the UFC, and I, I honestly believe that they were real fistfights. And, you know, whether they're exhibition or whatever, you know, I got the finishes, and, and it didn't matter if it was going to be under the lights in front of other people or if it was going to be only there inside that studio. I was going to, you know, come out with my hand raised no matter what. Juliana, between you... So, I to answer your question, yes, it does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> between uh, Juliana, between you and uh, sitting at number 12 and and the champion Ronda Rousey, there are only three women that she has not beaten, and, and one of them is your opponent this Saturday, Jessica I. Uh, it, it's a shorter road uh, to a title shot in the women's bantamweight division than, than some of the other divisions. Um, do you, I mean, it, it, a lot of times uh, somebody who's sitting at number 12 isn't, isn't necessarily going to be knocking on the door of a title shot, but in this situation, and especially given the fact that you're taking on a number six contender who's never faced Ronda Rousey, do you feel like a win over Jessica I puts you in, in that title conversation? 
I, I think so. Like I said, uh, to hit on the fact that I believe that those fights on the Ultimate Fighter counted, to me, the way that I look at it is I'm sitting at 5-0 and right now. Uh, everybody that they put in front of me on the Ultimate Fighter, I won and got a finish through. And everybody that they put in front of me after the Ultimate Fighter with uh, my last two losses, Rakozi, or wins, excuse me, Rakozi and Milana Dudieva, um, so far, I believe I'm like five and zero. So after uh, Saturday night, I'll be six and zero. And the only other person that's six and zero in this division is Andre Rousey. And so, you know, I feel like I've earned it. I feel like I've been fighting a lot of people in order to get to this spot. And there's only two other girls in this division that are finishing people, and that's me and Ronda. So it definitely makes sense to me, and I can't see why it wouldn't to anybody else either. And and finally for you, Juliana, along those same lines, you know, obviously the UFC likes to have a story to tell, especially when they're marketing an opponent against a superstar like Ronda Rousey. We saw it most recently with the, the Betch Correa fight. Has it entered your mind that the UFC has all that incredible archival footage of you on The Ultimate Fighter where Ronda picked Shayna Baszler to face off against you? Shayna was the big favorite. Uh, Ronda telling Shayna that you had no business being in the octagon with her. Has And, of course, you upset her. Has it entered your mind that if that fight with you and Ronda Rousey ever happens, the UFC has a great uh, uh, treasure trove of video footage to use to promote that fight. Yeah, not only that, not only do they have they not shown too much of that, but just even in the words with Ronda Rousey and me and, and personal exchanges that we have and the, and the personal beats that we have against each other, not a lot of people know about that. And uh, I'll be interested to start running my mouth uh, as soon as I get through Jessica I on October 3rd. All right, that is, uh, that's a promise from the Venezuelan Vixen, Juliana Pena. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram, at Venezuelan Vixen, and see her kick off the main card of the pay-per-view, UFC 192, this Saturday. Juliana, best of luck in there, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again at some point in the near future, seeing what's next for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We're talking UFC with one of the guys who's going to be on the uh, card, on the prelims, uh, this weekend, Saturday night, UFC 192, before the pay-per-view kicks off. You can watch the prelims on Fox Sports 1, and a very exciting young product uh, coming out of the featherweight division is going to be back in action this Saturday night, and he joins me now. It's Yair Rodriguez. Yair, how you doing, man? Good to talk to you. Thank you, Paul. Nice to talk with you, too. I'm pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, excited to see you back in action. And uh, before we talk about what you're what you're doing Saturday, I got to ask you about what uh, what you did last time I saw you in action, which was uh, uh, there in Mexico uh, in June. Uh, a fight that you had with Charles Rosa that was not only a fight of the night candidate, but as I look back on most of 2015, one of the better fights I saw all year. Uh, you won a split decision uh, in that fight. First of all, congratulations on that. But uh, just tell me a little bit. I mean, that that was uh, that was a spectacular fight. Uh, was that a fight that you saw going into it as being that closely contested and that competitive? Did you? Did you anticipate that, or you know, once you're standing well, there waiting for the judges' scorecards? I know, and, and the fight is that that will be hard for me. I know that the guy is tough, so I just try to go on and fight hard. You know, I I always practice my my kicks. I always practice my 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 scrambles and stuff. Uh, and I knew that this guy just he he was trying to 
to take me down. So I just tried to do my best in there. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, for, for those who have maybe seen you uh, compete on the Ultimate Fighter uh, Latin America, you were the first winner of that. Uh, you know, may, maybe they were uh, a little more familiar with you, but I think for a lot of people who maybe didn't see that season, it was uh, it was a real coming out party for you. So did you notice that, you know, after you put on such an impressive display that you're being recognized more by the casual uh, MMA fan? Yeah, the that fight uh, helped me a lot with the uh, with the fans. You know, that gave me that gave me more exposure uh, in front of the people. Uh, it was a pay per view, so it was very good for me, very good for my for my um, my popularity. And I'm pretty happy, pretty happy that, that I can that I can do uh, my my work like pretty well. Uh, one way than uh, and the people like and my bosses like and I just hope to keep doing it well. I think, you know, uh, one of the first things that, that people may notice about your style uh, is is that it's so well-rounded. Uh, you know, for, for those who like watching a submission-based game, you're throwing up all kinds of submissions. Uh, for uh, for those who like striking, obviously you've got that. And I, I know that you have an interesting uh, training camp situation. You're, you're based in Chicago. You're training with uh, Mike Valley and Izzy Martinez up there. But you also go down to Albuquerque and train with Greg Jackson. How do you balance that time? How does all that work? out for you uh, like my almost my own career camp is in uh, Chicago with, uh, like you say with the with Izzy and, and my guy but I just I just I just like to go sometimes like a couple of weeks with Coach Rick and work out uh, like strategy with him some submission uh, you know uh, blind games and stuff but, uh, my the, the most important Part of my, of my training camp is in Chicago. Uh, sometimes Coach Fred come to to see me to Chicago. He he, he, he likes to go with me too sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we are a team. We are like a, like every one of my coaches. They are all my head coaches. I don't I don't have like one head coach. Every one of them they are head coaches. Three of them. So I think uh, that's the way then. You know, one of the things that uh, I really like about your fighting style is how active you are off your back. When you're on your back, it's a constant submission threat uh, coming from you. That being said, a lot of times, uh, you know, a, a, a fighter does not get a fair shake with judges if he's on he or she is on their back. A lot of times it's not appreciated by judges. Is that anything that has ever concerned you or or maybe even before you were in the UFC, anything that, that you ever kinda got shortchanged on with uh on a judge's scorecard when you were so active off your back and maybe they didn't appreciate it? I mean uh, I don't think so much about the judges. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think so much about it. I just try to do my work. I just try to, to keep working hard every every minute of the fight, every second of the fight. I know that that way I can win the fight. You know, uh, if always if, if, I, if I always keep up active on my side, on even if I'm on my back, on top, or on my striking, if I keep uh, like active, I know that I want to win the fight.
Uh, so what I tried to do my last five, I can trust our closer. I knew that this guy was coming for me, and I was ready to to throw some solutions against. So the guy was pretty good. The guy has pretty good submission uh, uh, defense. I was doing my best to finalize this guy, but the, the guy is pretty good. Uh, you know, it's just just work, work on it every day. Uh, I like to work on my movements every day. So that's what you see in my fight. Joe Rogan called you a combination of John Jones and Anthony Pettis in that fight with Charles Rosa. I mean, that's some some pretty high uh, compliments right there. When you, I assume you've watched the fight back and you've heard him say that. When somebody says that, uh, I'm sure that's got to make you feel very good. Do you also feel a, a, a bit of added sense of pressure that you know, obviously, people are expecting some really big things from you in your career? Yeah, I just I don't have uh, any pressure, you know. I just try to keep working hard every training camp and go deeper every training camp. And I try to worry about myself, about my my training camp, my my life, my self. Uh, I can I can all look around and, and see what the people are saying about me, even if it's good or or bad, you know. I gotta. I gotta be focused on my on my career. I gotta be focused on my on my skills, and that way I'm gonna keep doing it well. Because I know I know it's a a big thing that they tell me like like the next Jim Jones or Anthony Pettis, and I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. But I'm I'm not that guy, you know. Even if I, I respect them so much, they are my friends both of them. But I, I have my own style, and I I want to keep it like that. And finally for you, yeah, you're, uh, you'll be taking on Daniel Hooker uh, in the featherweight division. How much do you know uh, about your, your opponent, Hooker? Have you been able to see much of him, and what do you anticipate? Yeah, I saw, I saw some fights of him. I know it's uh, a pretty good striker. He has pretty fast legs, uh, like head kicks. Uh, he has good wings, good elbows, good knees, and he has pretty good taking defense. Uh, his, his ground game is not nothing bad. You know, he has some some fight uh, winning by submission too. So this guy is this is gonna be a, a hard fight for me. It's gonna be uh, a, a hard fight, and I know I know it's gonna be even tired than, than the last one. Uh, I just have to do it well. So I I, I come so prepared for this fight. Uh, I train so hard for this fight. Um, I know this guy's coming to play for me, too, so uh, yeah, wow. Yair Rodriguez has been my guest. You can see him in action this Saturday on the prelims of UFC 192 before the pay-per-view kicks off. Yair, best of luck in there Saturday night, and look forward to seeing you fight again, and uh, look forward to talking to you again at some point. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Everybody was kung fu fighting.